Welcome to The Hidden Island, a podcast where we talk about local island history. My name's Fiona Steele, and I'll be your host for this journey. Today we're doing something different. I'm sitting here with Sobia Ali Faisal with BIPOC Usher, and we're doing an episode takeover. Sobia, can you tell me a little bit about what you have planned for us? Sure. Uh, So I'm the executive director of BIPOC Usher. Today we have a conversation that came up organically through our own conversations. Uh, The four of us that you'll be hearing uh, have spent different amounts of time on PEI. And uh, we have our own journeys that we've had on PEI. And a lot of times very difficult with a lot of barriers, a lot of um, uh, issues that we've dealt with. But At the end of the day, we still experience a lot of joy, especially within our own company, um, within our own community. And so we thought that it'd be really interesting to, yes, talk about a lot of the difficulties and the challenges we've had here in PEI, but then how did we get to a point where we are joyous? Sometimes we think of history as being hundreds of years old. And BIPOC folks have been on PEI for centuries. But what we are talking about today is recent social history. What this island has felt like for four people who've been living here for a range of years, starting in the 1980s up until today. So sit back and listen in. My name is Kendi, King Kendi. And a little bit about me, Um, I grew up in Charlottetown and Mermaid, originally from Kenya, but we moved to PEI when I was in grade 10, Um, so like 20 years ago. Um, Yeah, mostly worked in community and as an artist, and um, I have a background in political science and a Bachelor of Education, and I love doing things that keep me engaged in my community. How long have I been in PEI? Yeah, I said 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my name is Amira. I I grew up in Nigeria, and I moved to Charlottetown in 2017. I graduated from UPEI. I finished my undergrad in foods and nutrition, and I did the dietetic internship program. So my background is in dietetics. Um, I'm currently working in the EDI space. Yeah. All right. Um, So my name is Sobia Ali Faisal. Um, I moved here when I was five years old with my family. So that would have been in the mid 80s. Um, We moved here because my dad um, got a job at UPEI. And so I've been here for most of the time since, uh, minus 11 years that I spent in Ontario. Um, I am the executive director of BIPOC Usher. Uh, I have a PhD in applied social psychology. My focus for my research was on Muslims and sexual health. I grew up watching a lot of Bollywood movies to stay connected with my culture, but yeah, I guess we'll get into that as Mm. well in a little bit. Um, But yeah, I, I really am passionate about working for community and helping community in ways that I didn't have growing up here. So I'm Stephanie Arnold. I moved to PEI nine years ago. Now I have two kids, live here with um, our family. Life moved us here. It was my partner's entrepreneurial adventures that took us here. It was an unexpected move. And here I am. So our first question to start off our discussion is, what has life been like for you on PEI? I can start. PEI has been different things to me over the last nine years. And I think it's because the longer you're here, the more people you meet or the things you experience, it just changes your answer to that question. If you'd asked me, you know, within the first three years of moving here, it was a great place to raise a family. uh, My second was born here um, in Charlottetown. I live in the North Shore. And it was a really great place to raise a family. It was quiet. It wasn't the rat race that I would have found in Toronto. I did not feel like I was in a rat race when I was in Toronto. But then at the same time, I was a young professional rather than a mom of two. But now that I'm here, um, I still love Toronto. I have a network there. I have relatives there. But I don't think I'd ever want to move back there. That's not a lifestyle that I see for myself. And so at the time, I was like, you know what, P, I sort of present itself to you when you need it in your life. Because it felt like it was the right 
time for the the right give me the right thing at the right time but things did change I've never really faced microaggressions mm. in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I know it's a really big jump into a heavy topic, but it's just I've never experienced things I experienced here that I did in Toronto. And it's, I wasn't questioning my decision, but it's like, oh, the, the shine's a little off. And so I felt like the more you see and the more you feel and the more you notice, I, I probably came to a point where I didn't know what to do with all of it. And then eventually um, when I met people who have similar experiences and have navigated, I learned a lot from them. And so now I feel like I've come through the other side a little bit. I felt like I found my voice, a voice I didn't know I had deep inside and that I needed um, to bring up to the surface. And I'm probably, at the moment earlier today, thought to myself, I'm probably happier now than I've been in a really long time. And I can't mm-hmm. explain why, but it's just been... It's because it's you have us changing. in your life, Stephanie. I, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, Amira would take credit for that. But yes, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely because, you know. Yeah. yeah, and that speaks to community, too, mm. right? I mean, your sense of community here, Steph, with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, PEI without community is really hard. Um, because it's such a niche experience. Like, I feel like UP, UPI, wow. <laughs> my student days are over um PEI is like like I like what you said stuff that like PEI gives you like what you need I feel like the aesthetic like the the slow pace the long even the long winters you can like just really like even like work on yourself or like build your business or different things you're not in like the big urban chase but it comes with a different like almost like a like a, a crazy side of it where it's very quiet and it's not talked about and so when you get here there's this confusion of like oh this place is great but it feels so bad (laughs) and that like really messes with your head when you're alone in it but when you meet other folks and they're like oh me too me too me Mm -hmm. and you're like oh okay this is basically what like the racism oppression looks like in PEI it's it's niche to PEI and like if you don't live here or in the first few months here like you don't understand what it is and so for me my time on PI has really been journeying through being kind of clueless to like PI's racism because we moved from Quebec to like really understanding it to then really helping people understand it mm-hmm. to now just like you know like I hear what you're saying about not wanting to leave but for me it's just like one of those things where it's like if it's not going to get better like I've experienced it for 20 years, like at different varying scales. And I'm just like, I'm on the other end of that where I'm like, I need something different. Like, um, I'm sure there's so many different forms of oppression in the world, but I'm just tired of this, Mm. this certain brand, you know, I'm over it. So like, it's a crazy journey. It's interesting because for me, PEI is, you know, divided into two parts of my life, pre-Ontario and post-Ontario. So when I listen to you, guys talking about like coming here and what it's like here when you've had experiences elsewhere. For me, my first half of my life, I moved here when I was five. Mm -hmm. So five to about my early to mid twenties, I didn't notice a lot of the problems. I didn't notice the microaggressions. Well, no, I actually, I shouldn't say that. I felt them. Mm -hmm. I felt them. Something felt wrong. There were so many spaces in which I would walk into and I just felt immediately almost like sad or depressed or just this like yeah it just it was just never a good a a good feeling so I felt it but I didn't know that's what it was I thought I'm just like I'm just shy I'm introverted I don't like being around people um so I figured that's what it always was but it wasn't until I moved to Ontario and I went to graduate school and then I started talking to people and that's when they started to say no, that was racism. <laughs> that was exclusion. That was they didn't we didn't use microaggressions. I didn't hear it that time, but mm-hmm. um that's what they were talking about. And I never planned to move back to PEI. Like that was like the most laughable idea for me <laughs> in Ontario. People would be like, gonna move back. I'm like, what? are you crazy? Like, of <laughs> course not. Why the why would I ever move back to PEI? And even on visits home. I would like, yeah, yeah, no, this is nice to visit, but I can never come back here. By the time we decided to come back, um, 
PEI was very different. And that's the only reason I came back. If PEI had been the way it was when I left, I, I still wouldn't, I would not have come back. There's no way I would have come back. It was, it was only because when I would, each summer I would come back, or each winter I would come back to visit. And I started to see more diversity and more diversity. And then eventually um, my, me and my husband were at a point where we didn't really have to be where we were in Ontario. And we just kind of needed some space and time to just rethink and regroup. And so we decided to come back here. But definitely the there's still places here that trigger me. There's still um, people and, you know, just, um, yeah, things that I, I have those those kind of negative feelings, those sad feelings, those depressed feelings come back mm-hmm. when I'm in certain spaces, when I see certain things. Um, and so that's why, yeah, having BIPOC usher, having the you guys and having the community that I do now helps me be able to stay here because a lot of the old feelings that I had um, would push me away from here really so yeah my my PEI experience is definitely divided into two sections P like pre-Ontario and post-Ontario So I have just the one PEA experience. So I moved to PEA in 2017. I was 17 at the time. I moved here for university by myself. I traveled halfway across the world for university. And yeah, like PEA, what I describe PEA, and this is like a gross exaggeration, but do you guys know the horror movie Midsummer? No. Okay. So basically, <laughs> Midsummer is a horror movie that happens in one of those um one of those, one of those regions in the world where it's like sunlight twenty four hours. So a lot of terrible things are happening, but it's so pretty. Like there's so many pretty flowers. Everyone's wearing like the most colorful, the most gorgeous dresses. It is so pretty, but so many awful things are happening. So I feel like that's what like, and that's like obviously like a gross exaggeration, but I often feel like that's what I describe PEI like. One thing about PEI is that PEI is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. PEI is arguably one of mm-hmm. the most beautiful places I've been. Like in the summer, mm-hmm. when I'm driving, I'm just like, wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> this place is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to spend more and more and more time here, and then you start to like accumulate all of these experiences, you're then like, okay okay I see it now and I feel like for me that's what makes it like I I always say like I have a toxic relationship with PEI because especially in the winter I'm like I'm leaving this place this place has very little to offer me I could be doing so like I can be doing so much outside of here but then summer comes and I'm like wow this is the most beautiful place I've ever (laughs) seen in my life So, like, my experience here in PEI has been very very interesting. When I first moved here, I also had what I called, like, the honeymoon phase, where it was like, oh, my God, this place is so perfect, and it's so amazing, and, you know, like, nothing nothing could ever go wrong until many things (laughs) started to go wrong. And um, I will say I was shielded a lot when like after because I I met Sobia in 2019 Mm -hmm. so I moved here in 2017 and for like the entirety of my first year like I had experienced like microaggressions and there are so many things where like I couldn't like like adequately articulate that like okay these I should not be dealing with these things but that only lasted like two years like after that I met Sobia and after I met Sobia, I met BIPOC Usher. And I'd always say, like, you know, like, the BIPOC Usher, is, like, the logo is, like, an umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's what BIPOC Usher has been for me. BIPOC Usher has been somewhat of, like, a shield for me from all these experiences. Because now that I know that these things are happening in a lot of spaces, I'm able to, like, assert myself and, like, sort of, like, adequately respond when those things are happening to me. But, yeah, like, my relationship with PEI has been very interesting. But, like, one thing I will appreciate with, like, being here on the island is finding community. If I, like, because I graduated, um, I graduated just me of this year. And after graduation, I was ready to dip. I was looking for, like, jobs elsewhere and all of that. But then I was just 
ah, I'm like, I kind of don't want to leave my friends. <laughs> so there was a part of like, first, like moving is stressful. But then because I had such amazing community, I had such fulfilling friendships, like living PEI, like became really hard. So that's why I always say it's like, it's a bit of a toxic relationship. <laughs> but like, I do genuinely enjoy the community that I have here on the island and the people that I've gotten to meet and the experiences that I've had with all of these amazing people. I want to jump off of what you said about Umbrella and their logo and community and friends. Because it's not, I don't know, we're, we're not a sword. Sometimes we're a sword. Sometimes we're a shield. But the most important thing, I think, is the bond. I think the bond we have, mm-hmm. I don't know if community is stronger than friendship. I feel like we're not social friends. I feel like we are, the Musketeers is weird. That's a weird <laughs> metaphor but there's uh, there's a very special and unique bond that ties us and I think the power of it it's not strength in numbers it's not the numbers itself Mm. what I got so much out of it and what has given me that voice I mentioned earlier is the amount of learning and unlearning I've done by being with this group of people Mm. and the many different chats sometimes they're very serious sometimes they're very silly and goofy but all of us really we build each other up and we mm-hmm. build ourselves up and we make the community or community ties with among each other a lot stronger. And I think that's what really keeps me here. Like you said, like about friends and it's like if without BIPOC Usher, I don't think I would still be on PEI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steph, you're a G. Just say it. We love each other. Yeah. That's what it we is. Yeah. Love. We love each other. Like, yeah. I think that's like my favorite thing is that we found each other and then like it's that depth of it where it's like, I know I'm never alone anymore, especially in a place that really isolates like that. Like sometimes like, man, that chat, some of our chats are going at the weirdest hours. Like you just like roll over in bed and you're like, all right, pals, like it's 6 a.m. Yeah, like calm down. But like and the weirdest things, the weirdest things, the weirdest things like um, shine bright like a diamond. Oh, my God. <laughs> calm down, Eddie Bauer. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just so much joy has come from like finding each other and you know i know like we're constantly hearing like how can we retain people in pi retention retention but like even here there's a common underlying theme that like we all like would stay like if you hadn't gotten this Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have stayed right Mm -hmm. like and like i wish more people could find community especially bipoc folks in pi because it actually makes us a place where you want to live Mm -hmm. right like and I don't think it, I mean, back to what she said, too. I don't think it's like, or for me, it's not a toxic relationship with Pia. Pia has a toxic relationship with me. Because mm-hmm. I'm, lo- I'm trying to love this place, man. I, yeah. I, I love this place. Mm-hmm. But you know, the problem is what? Pia will love me right back. Like, it's not yep. in the way I deserve to be loved, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think until it gets to the point where it can love folks like us correctly, then we'll want to stay. Like, yeah. so far it's happening in our spaces, but mm-hmm. not across the board, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. That is such a good point. They don't, PEI doesn't love us because I feel the same way. I would love to stay here. I mean, just the the smallness of the place, the safety. um, And I, it's like, I keep trying to give it chances. And the only reason, again, like I said, I stay is because of our community, because of us. But it's like the systems, the, 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 you know, PEI itself is just like, no, we don't really want you here. You know, where they the messaging consistently seems to be from so many spheres that they want us almost to look good, but they don't recognize what we need. And the only reason I say that is because we we tell them, right? We tell people what we need. It's not like we're being quiet about it anymore. Um, but the response is. You know, it's it's lukewarm at best. I think it depends on what the goal is, right? If the goal mm. is recruitment and retention based on economic <clears throat> goals, then what's the minimum you have to put in to get the maximum or the min- like whatever threshold of economic output you're looking for? Mm. So sometimes it feels like they need labor, mm-hmm. and so they'll do the minimum. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird because, yes, like bipartisanship and the love we have for each other is keeping me here. But then you have really awful things happen to you, mm-hmm. like getting substandard health care that could put mm-hmm. you and your child at risk. Yep. And then you're like, how do I reconcile the two? 
right? Because mm-hmm. I do have a stubborn optimism for PE. I have a stubborn optimism that this place, with its community-mindedness, that it can pull together. Yeah. That we, the critical mass we need to get us over that hump isn't that many compared to larger provinces. So I have a stubborn optimism. But PI sometimes just like squanders chances. And you're like, are th- mm. how many more opportunities will it squander until that maybe it's just like, oh, I'm fed up now. Maybe we've done all we could. And that's sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, squanders chances. That's a really great... Because I've seen that happen, right? We've all seen that happen where we're like, here, we're, we're handing you information. We're handing you resources on a gold platter. Mm-hmm. We're giving this to you, like, willingly. Take it. And mm, like, no, thank you. You know, it's just so it's it's really that's hard to see is when we do offer so much and we do offer our greatness, you know, our wisdom, our knowledge, our experience. And the response is not at all what we yeah. would hope. And one thing I think about PEA is that I think PEA is very, very, very scared of change. And PEI as a whole is very resistant to change. And so we have a situation where the demographic of PEA is changing because UPEI is continuously recruiting people from other countries. Like I know UPEI has... UPI puts in so much work to recruit people from specifically Nigeria because I know like when I was like when I was done with high school, there were so many brochures of UPI everywhere and UPI had all these agents coming to like um, high schools in Nigeria being like, do you know where you should go? UPEI. <laughs> so UPI puts in a lot of work to recruit, but the issue is UPI has like PEI as a whole has such high rates of turnover because the the, the PEI is so resistant to change. Like people, and you, and this is something like I've heard a lot of islanders say, like with their full chest. It's not something like they're shy about. We want our island to stay the same way. We want our island to stay great again. Yeah, like we want our island to stay small. Like all they say, all these things, and so like those are because when we talk about like. When we talk about these like white supremacists and discriminatory systems, yes, there are systems, but it's individuals who hold these systems. It's individuals who continue to uphold these systems, and so just a lot of islanders are so resistant to resistant to change, and that's why like. I find even like the work we're doing at BIPOC Usher, like, because what we're doing at BIPOC Usher is a found is very foundational work. We're like the mm-hmm. first of its kind in other provinces. They've been doing this work. They've been doing this work for like they started doing this work 10, 20 years ago even. But PEI has just like caught up. And also very random, but like even like in nutrition, like like the diet trends. Like the diet trends come to PEI so late. Like they start up elsewhere. Because <laughs> we like we, we do we do learn about like um like diet like fad diet trends and all of that. And like consistently PEI is always like eight to nine years behind on the mm. fad diet trends. But PEI just like stays behind on a lot of things because of how resistant a lot of people mm. are to change. And like obviously like everybody knows this lame ass quote, but the most the only constant thing is change, right? Mm. Okay. And I feel that, you know, like, I struggle with change, like, and I constantly have to remind myself that, and, like, I have, like, intense nostalgia. Like, I went into downtown convenience after they renovated, and I cried like a baby, you know? Like, that convenience store has been the same since I was a teenager, and I was just like, no. The new library had, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But when I first heard the other library was closing, I was like, what are you doing, P.I.? But, like, change is hard, but, like, it's inevitable, right? And I think PEI's issue, too, is that, like, PEI's resistance to change is increasing the racism. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's so much more diverse here. It's such a nice thing. And I'm like, true, true story. But I've never felt more unsafe. Mm. So where's that feeling coming from? And it's because the more diversity increases, the more a certain brand of people are like, oh, hell no, not on my island. And they're becoming more... um loud vicious about it Mm. and i don't like the feeling of walking on eggshells like there's that video of sobia you shared in one of the workshops we were doing and it was like um the expectation of racism impacts your mental health right Mm -hmm. i feel like now what's changed is i'm constantly expecting racism when i leave my house where before it depended on where i was engaging Mm. like i could at least be like okay i just won't go here i won't do this but now it's almost like I, even I don't have a read on it anymore, you know? And so that's something that I'm noticing is that PI is like, that's that brand of people is just become intense. 
and uncomfortable and that's part of the driver of leaving you know mm. and I feel really sad that so many people leave PEI because PEI also has this like incredible ability to like bring like literally magical people I'm just like wait wait, wait you do mm. what now how'd you end up doing this like or like just something very un- like I, I don't know like the people here are incredible and then to only want them to stay for a short term why not have like a long-term intention with people's lives like if it's economic retention then it's making people disposable like okay you worked three summers now you can go off to the mainland whereas if they looked at it as like you know imagine a 50-year plan a lifetime plan mm. for like BIPOC folks to stay here I think this place would be moving like really differently mm. you know because especially for me I feel like I experience a lot of it more so in the systems yeah you know it's not yeah. on the street every day but like that same brand of people are strong in the systems yeah. <laughs> so you go to get healthcare that's where you might experience racism mm-hmm. if i go to the convenience store there's probably someone who's bipoc working i'm not experiencing yeah. it there mm-hmm. anymore if i go to the grocery store same thing there's a lot of racialized folks but if i go to the doctor if i go into the justice system if i go any system i'm facing a challenge yeah. if i go to service canada like proving oh like uh do you have your no are you sure yeah. you have a, a one on your social insurance number and it's like bro what are you saying yeah and so it's just like it seems because people don't expect that brand again of racism in systems mm-hmm. you know they're thinking oh no like PEI organizations and like healthcare would be so liberal right but it's like no like we're experiencing violence when we're at our most vulnerable when yeah. we need something exactly I'm gonna push back on your term of saying leave I don't think people are leaving I think people are forced to leave because we even here in fields like healthcare where it's really hard to retain and recruit People want to stay, but the challenges they have to face in trying to stay are thrown up. And and it's like, oh, they're forced to leave. They don't want to leave. And we've heard stories sort of internally with people coming to us. So it's yeah. like, make up your mind, PEI. Yeah. What do you want? And, and in fields that we need, doctors yeah. who are being forced to leave because of the racism they're experiencing from administration. You know, how many racialized teachers do we have here? Um, if the ones who come here face so much discrimination, racism from their colleagues, from others, um, I mean, even their or parents with kids in the school system, you know, kids are experiencing racism when they try to get it addressed. Nothing comes of it. People are being forced to leave. People are being forced to leave. Like, again, I'll say this one and one more time. If it wasn't for you guys, if it wasn't for BIPOC Usher, I would also leave. I would also leave. You know, especially after we've seen as an organization the things that we've seen, sort of like the the underbelly, I guess, in some ways, right? Because we're seeing a lot of what even other BIPOC people don't necessarily see. We hear the stories that they're not even hearing. So we're seeing all the reasons that people are leaving. And it's I've had moments even in the last you know, few months where I'm like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Why am I even here? I can go to Ontario. I was just in Ontario a few months ago visiting family. And it just, it felt so, I felt so relaxed. I'm like, wow, this is, this is nice, you know? And so you start to think, what am I even doing here? And then I just, I just, it's just my need to protect people that keeps me here. Cause I'm like, if I leave, if I leave at this time, our organization could fall apart. And then what, then who protects BIPOC people here? Mm-hmm. I might leave if you leave. Same. <laughs> right and exactly and the whole yeah. organization would just yeah. fall apart and if you left I would leave right if you guys left I would leave interdependency yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so. there are, I want to give a shout out though to there are people as like we're, we're speaking so broadly and generally mm-hmm. and we do have to deal with the bad side of PEI I want to give a shout out to people who are trying to change right yes. the, mm-hmm. um, we just need that number to be a lot bigger and to be a lot more widespread because you know what a dozen people 20 people even a hundred people that's not enough so I think there's an opportunity for the rest of the people who aren't doing anti-oppressive work it doesn't have to be like that's your main job it's just how you conduct yourselves right and how do you hold yourselves accountable how do you hold your neighbors accountable how do you hold your family accountable Mm -hmm. if more people are doing that work this place will be better for everyone and I think that's a point that not everyone understands like when we do anti-racism work we're not doing this to only improve the lives of racialized people because when we're doing anti-racism work we're also supporting people who are 
racialized and living with poverty. Mm. We're supporting people who are racialized and have mental health um, illnesses. We're mm-hmm. supporting anti-oppression work for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so maybe the, the sooner people get on board with that, the more likely they will pitch in their time and their efforts. And I think we just need more of that very quickly yeah, and not let more people continue to get hurt by the systems. Yeah, And PI does have like that good, like, like PI is so far behind that I think it still carries certain elements or understandings of community that like, I feel like if PI ignores, especially like American propaganda of like the last 10 years mm-hmm. and really just focuses and consolidates on like being a good place for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's an issue with PEI too, is that like, I feel like PEI struggles with like an inferiority syndrome. So they're always trying to compare themselves with the mainland or with somebody else instead of just being like, no, here, this is how we want to do it. But because PEI is constantly consuming like um, American or mainland propaganda, it's like, no, you have the opportunity here in a smaller community. Like that stubborn optimism, uh, mm. stubborn optimism that you said, yeah. like, I feel that about this. I'm like, you could, mm-hmm. you could, you really could. And then like almost every day I'm like, but you don't want to, but you don't want to, you just don't want mm. to. And that is so frustrating. Like, honestly, part of my leaving is just like, bro, you're so capable, but you're just not doing the thing. You know, mm-hmm. and that I, that frustrates me almost more because I'm like, you're so close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're exactly. so. Close. We are pretty close. <laughs> we are. I mean, we're always feeling with the cusp. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the thing. Like the I, longest cusp. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna go on forever. It's like Louise, but it's like <sighs> ten minutes of driving. That's <laughs> 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 uh, another terrible mer- metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, going up. Yeah. yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I I I'm optimistic too, and I think the reason is because there are there are good people absolutely they're, they're I, we can't deny and um like i've worked with them and i've worked with people who are like in the system who really want to do the right thing and who really do believe in you know the things that we believe in um but it's just they're not necessarily the decision makers they're not necessarily um, or they might have some level of power but they can't just they can't do it on their own and they need others on board, and those others aren't always on board. Um, but yeah, the the fact that we are so small, I think, puts it at, puts us at a huge advantage because we can try things. We can without too much risk, right? I mean, we can try some uh, new way of doing stuff, um, and then yeah, and then that could potentially work. And it's not like it could benefit so many people, right? So I think that our smallness works in our to our advantage, but it's just the barriers feel sometimes really, really high. I think it's like almost like PI needs to be small but mighty, but right now PI is kind of playing more like small but meek, mm-hmm. like almost too scared to like change, you know? And the change, it's not even like hard changes. It's like... I think the hardest part is that it's individual changes, right? Like it's it's a self-discipline to be like, I don't want to hurt my community anymore, anybody in my community anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that means like you start to move different, but that's in your own home, in your with your own self. And a lot of islanders or like a lot of, I think a lot of the worlds, but here like just the isolation of there's a culture here where people mm-hmm. are just like, no, 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 I'm happy the way I am. I'm happy the way things are. Nothing should change anymore. But like those changes are like, inherently good for you mm-hmm. it's like you'll be a better person you'll be a happier person you'll have more community you'll be more connected like only good has come out of my life from all those things like from being like you know what I started loving me I started loving y'all like I was able to be like you know what I never want to hurt Sobia I never want to hurt um really anyone so then you move with a certain ideology right but it's a small change but it's a big change and like the craziest thing is that like here they can but then it's like you're too scared to do it. Like, That's it. The courage. There's no courage. Like, I keep saying this. We, as racialized people, are incredibly courageous and incredibly brave. And sometimes, like, we'll do things and we're like, yeah, we'll just, we just do it. We're scared, but we do it. And then I look at people in positions of power, white people, and they just won't. And I'm like, why? Like, Comfort. why? They're comfortable where, where they're at, whereas racialized people, we're not comfortable where mm-hmm. we're at. 
And so it's that need to maintain the status quo because the status quo benefits them. And so that's exactly what it is. And so, like, that's also, like, a big part of, like, because I always say that's, like, a big part of, like, having, like, an individualistic mindset versus a a collectivist Mm -hmm. mindset. So the status quo benefits a lot of people individually and like their immediate family whereas it puts a lot of the community at at a disadvantage but people are okay with that Mm. as long as they are well fed and they're okay then mm, mm. whereas we're starting to see like within like racialized communities and queer communities we're starting to see a lot of people you know organizing for the sake of not just themselves but Mm. for the community Mm. as at large so especially with racialized queer communities yeah i think for us like because we've dealt with colonization and imperialism and um immigration trauma and just the things that we've had to deal with over the last few hundred years we've had no choice we've just been in this constant state of discomfort constantly so it's like well we just have to we have to resist we have no choice and it's just become almost like genetically ingrained in some ways that because we've dealt with all this massive oppression for so many years decades centuries um we just have that that drive but yeah they that's new for me because i came here so i wasn't going to tell you where i came here from i came to canada as a model minority <laughs> and i did all my model minority stuff growing up i kept my head down i studied hard i got a good was job. good at math played oh. the piano <laughs> yeah <laughs> I studied engineering, I went to my MBA, I did all the modern minority things, Mm -hmm. and I worked hard, right? If you work hard, success comes to you. But it's coming here, Mm. it was a shock (laughs) that Chinese people weren't model minorities here. (laughs) Chinese people were awful PNP people, right? Mm. And so everyone assumes I came here on a PNP. I was like, no, I came here from Toronto. And I had to learn, because... I think that's why I did not sense or receive microaggressions in Toronto because I was seen as a model minority. Mm. So the when that, um, um, I guess I don't know what they call when whatever what that the the idea of that doesn't exist here and I'm no longer that. That's when I realized, oh shoot, this is what racism feels like. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it took time. But what, so when I said in the beginning where I had to learn and unlearn a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. it's like I understood racism, mm-hmm. but it didn't it wouldn't have affected me in Toronto the way um, mm-hmm. like the way that anti-blackness affect the black community. Right. So there wasn't a strong anti-Chinese racism when I grew up there or maybe I was shielded from it because I was among a lot of racialized friends. Mm-hmm. But here it was such strong anti-Chinese sentiments. I had to learn to deal with that. And I guess I'm really lucky that I found this group because I was having a hard time figuring things out. Mm -hmm. Because how do you learn and unlearn unless you're able to learn from someone that have already gone through that process a little bit? And so that's Mm -hmm. how BIPOC Usher really changed my mindset and understanding of who I am and how society ought to be and how it isn't. Right. Interesting. Thanks for laughing at me, though. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of that, that there's no such thing as a model minority on PEI. That's true. Like, even growing up here, I mean, so my family's Muslim, so in some ways that muddies the water, even though we're South Asian. Many South Asians are seen as model minorities, but then Muslims are seen as dangerous. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're kind of depending on how people view us. Mind you, growing up, no one here knew what a Muslim was or what a Pakistani was. So it was just, it was, yeah, it was, it was, that was, it was sort of like very invisibilizing in that way. Um, But you're right. There's no such thing as a model minority on PEI. Better, right? Like, it's good that you didn't adopt Mm -hmm. that because that is just another weird skewed form of racism anyway yeah. so it's one of those things where they're 10 years behind that they didn't quite catch on to some things <laughs> which is not a bad thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's interesting because you're basically recruiting those folks to maintain the status quo like i felt used now that i know what it was mm. what this whole thing the scheme yeah. is like a big scheme yeah yeah like being black like i don't think we get the modern minority and like i went to a pretty like when I moved to Montreal first, I went to a pretty black school um, that was pretty woke, especially for like the early 2000s. And like I'm in eighth grade and they're teaching you about like 
settler colonialism and like zionism and like just trying to be like the world is more complex than just mm. like math and like social studies so they would ingrain it in what we were learning in a really cool way like most of my teachers there were black and so when my mom told me we were moving to pei i remember we went and asked my geography teacher and my geography teacher was actually kenyan and he he first started laughing at me and then he was like first of all do you even know where you're going and then i said no and he's like i have failed you in geography <laughs> none of us knew where pi was and he's like so everybody was just like anna green gables and we're just like what <laughs> so then we moved to pi and here like that first summer like yeah like you know i grew up in nairobi where I didn't stand like I didn't even know what being black was. Mm. Then in Montreal I was introduced to this concept of being black, but again, I'm in a primarily black school, I hang out with primarily black youth. Then I come here and like the only way I can describe it is like a circus freak. Mhm. You yep. know? Yep. Yep. Like something that is yep. like I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, like yeah. it was the first time where it's like I remember walking to the cafeteria in school and everybody turning like yeah. in the movies, yeah. And mm-hmm. I was just like, "What the?" F-? And then like I remember after the, like the first two days that happening, I started to eat lunch at home, which mm-hmm. was not something I did in other schools I went to. But I was I felt safer, not even from like anything physical, just like stop mm-hmm. staring at me like that. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's also a certain stare, and I was just like, "Can this not happen?" Mm-hmm. And then these folks accidentally put me in an ESL class. I speak English, French at this point. Mm. I'm like, bro, I'm good. But I walked into that class and there was folks from Somalia, from um the Dominican, from Brazil, from Sweden. Um there was folks from like Ghana, like even other people who spoke English, African mm. countries, but in that room I remember just being like, "Oh." And so I stayed in ESL cuz like for me I was just like <laughs> It's not English I'm here for, it's the culture, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that protected me so hard in PI because from there, that was what grade 11. Mm. I just moved with BIPOC folks and so my experience even of PI is so different where I'm like like a lot of my friends and my community has been um BIPOC but it's been in silos. Like yeah. I have friends who are I have areas I go where that are heavily white yeah. and then I have areas that I go that are heavily BIPOC, right? Yeah. And that's the sad part is that like it's the white group that actually creates that segregation mm-hmm. right they don't engage as much with our communities as mm-hmm. they should or as much as they even say they want to or they will but they don't actually act on it mm-hmm. so there's like i don't yeah. know low key segregation yeah the the circus freak comment i can relate to so much having grown up in PEI in the 80s and 90s um anytime i would go out with my family there's like five of us It was rare that I would want to because as soon as you step out, people are looking at you like, "Oh my god, there's a pack of them." Oh my god, like what <laughs> look at them. everyone's looking and you feel so uncomfortable. But think about like how that messes with your own relationship with your family. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the people, like the white people who are staring at you are the ones you should be angry with, but I ended up getting angry at my family for wanting me to go out with them. Like my parents as a teenager, I'm like, "No, I'm not going to go out with you. People stare at us. What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. but it was really the people that I should have been getting angry at but that messes your relationship relationship up with your family um so yeah it's and and your community because what we also didn't do was those of us who were not related but we're all like brown we didn't hang out with each other either in public we were always we're like no if we hang out people are going to stare at us and if we go out for scared. and they're going to be scared <laughs> yeah. and they're going to think we're up to something like dangerous like our muslim community sometimes would have like eat picnics at like the beach or the park and we'd always sit there and laugh at the white people looking at us cuz we're like they think we're up to like planning <laughs> some terrorist activity <laughs> i know and we just laugh about it is <laughs> it <laughs> so Okay, with well now that we're all like kind of laughing a lot. Joy, what do what is joy here for us? I think joy like we've talked we've touched on that a lot mm-hmm. like throughout this conversation is that regardless of like all the experiences that like we've faced on the island, we're still able to find joy in all of the most profound moments. We're mm-hmm. still able to finding each other is like a big element of joy mm. like i think j- the biggest thing with joy on the island especially if you're racialized is finding community mm. yeah. because 
PR can be so isolating, especially mm-hmm. when you move here. When you're racialized and you move here from a different country, PR can be so, so isolating. And so finding community is finding joy. Mm-hmm. And like community isn't, because I just like recently learned this, like community isn't, like I've shifted my mind from um, community being about um, people who have shared experiences more so to people who have shared goals. So what are our goals for PEI? Do our goals for like PEI, what our future, not just, not even just like the future of PEI, but the future of like our planet as a whole. Like what are our goals mm. for all of that? Like for me, that is what community is. Mm. Mm. I think like, Joy for me is that y'all really see me. Like, I can show up, man, okay. <laughs> I can show up in so many ways, and I know that I'll be safe to be me in spaces with y'all. And I think what community now really means to me is that, is that, like, places I can be myself, places I can show the multifacetedness of myself. Um, and it's ricocheted into other areas of my life where now I'm adamant that in other spaces, I get to be as much of myself as possible instead of like performative or like ch- picking and choosing. Um, it's trickled into so many of my other relationships where I'm just like, no, like if I can't feel like this, it ain't worth it for me, bro. And so y'all have taught me how I want to be loved. Mm. <laughs> and it's just so crazy because I never imagined that here. Like, you know, like I never... And then also from like a group of folks who are different, different faith backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, different upbringings. Like we come from such a variety of backgrounds that honestly, I feel like in like the world we live in, we have more to beef about. But we're just like, hell no, we are just magic with each other, you know, like and we've just found so many ways to like surpass what society expects a group of us to feel or engage how we're supposed to engage with with each other like you know the divide and conquer concept that they Mm. all start in whatever we're shattering that you know Mm. like for me that's what it just really feels like it's like you've shown me how i deserve to be loved but you've also shattered divide and conquer in my world i'm like no i just want to see unity and love and this feeling for everyone you know what was a really fun recent afternoon for me was the eat picnic I did not know what Eid was before BIPOC Usher. And like you say, it, it brought together, like our community is a community of very many, very, very many different backgrounds. And it's so fun to participate. And it's because it feels good to see a community be able to celebrate their holidays. Because mm. you don't get that in public schools, right? Yeah. You don't get to learn about them. You don't get to practice them. But let's make space and do that. Yeah. And then for me to also be invited to participate and then we just had a really lovely afternoon in the park. I got henna done for the first time because I never wanted to do henna from like outside of what's culturally appropriate. Because mm-hmm. you can go to a street vendor like up and down any harbor front right. maybe and get henna done just for fun. But that doesn't never felt right. So mm-hmm. it just felt so good. And it was weird because it's like it's not about us accepting Muslim holidays. It was more about Muslims letting me hang out with them and celebrate something. It's just like it's everything. Yeah. We turn things upside down and we just center love. Yeah, I think that for me is the power that we have in our group. Yeah, yeah. and what Absolutely. brings all of us joy. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah that centering of love is so so important. It's like uh, I think it was. It's a quote of Che Guevara's, but something about how. Um, the heart of any revolution, revolutionary mm-hmm. person, like it's it's yeah. love. Like love is at the heart of revolution. It's mm-hmm. not yeah. hatred. It's mm-hmm. not it's anger. Not it's not power. It's mm-hmm. it's really love. And I think that is so important. Like I, I've been reading about, like you know, Sufi understandings of love and um, Rumi's writing on love mm-hmm. that you know Shaka gave me uh, the book. And so I've been reading a lot about love a lot more. And I think that is so central. Love doesn't necessarily. And I've been reading about this too. It's not sappy. Like love isn't like oh you know just flowers it and daffodils. Beautiful. It's powerful. And divine force. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It's so radical. And unfortunately, it is. I think like heteronormativity teaches us that like love is between a boy and a girl, and then they meet each other and they kiss. Mm-hmm. And and chocolates and flowers, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like romantic. Whereas yeah. like love is revolutionary. Like when mm. I think of the love I have for y'all, is that like. If you're in a situation and you need help, I want to be there to help you. But 
if I can't help you, I want to stand beside you. I yeah. want mm-hmm. to be there for you yeah. until you make it to the other side. And then I want to laugh with you or make mm. jokes with you. <laughs> but like, you know, like I want to also be there f- with you in like the healing process and gas mm. you up and like see yeah. you through like multiple stages of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this, there's like a radical long-term depth and like, mm-hmm. man, like, media got it all wrong like media sold me that messed up version of like love for the longest because i'm like no this is love <laughs> like yeah. You know? yeah if Absolutely. my parents ask me why i'm not dating i'm gonna say it's because of my pleasure because like i feel like i am whole like mm. i don't feel a need for like a romantic type of love <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel the need for a romantic type of love because I have such fulfilling mm-hmm. platonic relationships that like it's just like if I like if someone comes around romantically and I'm like okay you're cool then fine but it's not it's not a need mm-hmm. like I'm happy mm-hmm. in the relationships that I've built can yeah. I turn this around a little bit and put P.I. in the focus again like you know how, like the trope of if you don't like it just leave mm-hmm. it's like nah we love it here it's like the thing you talk about, the force and the revolution. It's not because we hate PEI. It's because yeah. we love PEI. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. want to see, we know it can be a better place for all, including the people saying that to us. Mm. It can be a better place for you too. Mm. Yeah, We're willing to put in the work. We're willing to accept your imperfections. Mm. But it's love. It's yeah. like, it's not, it's not just a lovey-dovey Hollywood happy ending. Love yeah. is hard work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also like, remembering whose land we're actually on mm-hmm. right because we love love and honor the original inhabitants of this land who it was stolen from mm-hmm. right we mm-hmm. we respect and um honor the fact that this is their land mm-hmm. this is the land of the Mi'kmaq and so that love for decolonization you know, thinking about whose land is this really, and when we think about whose land this really truly is, yes, that is a land worth loving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I hear that, but as a person who's adamant on leaving, um, I also just want to say that, like, I think there's also the reality of how much you can give to PI, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, and I think, I don't even think mine is permanent, but there's also, like, this part where it's like, wow, like, it's a lot, you know? I think I'm starting to have more empathy for the people who are just like, I don't know, bro, like, maybe I'll just leave for a little bit and come back, um, or maybe I'll just leave permanently. Like, mine is like, I'll leave and watch and come back. But I think it's that, like, like I love this place so much, but there's also self-preservation yep. that comes into play with PEI, because it's like, um, especially I think when you deal with, like, mental health, mm-hmm. like... I feel like this times when PI is literally driving me crazy, you know, like the stiflingness and then like you're getting certain experiences from certain people and you, you're seeing them all the time. Like, you know, like there's almost like it, bec- it feels constricting. That's the word I'm mm-hmm. looking for. Like there's a constricting that I start to feel here. And as much as I love PI, like I really pray that this place can change and be the place that I can like stay, you know, like I have so much faith in this place doing that. But I'm also like, yeah, I'm going to see what the world has to offer for a minute. Because you guys, I might come back and be like, whoo. Like when I went to Toronto, (laughs) then I came back and I was like, wow, the mainland's crazy. I like it here. (laughs) (laughs) I might come back and be like, wow, the rest of the world is crazy. I'm back. (laughs) Who knows, man? But I think it's just like some adventure to see, like, is it better? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, self-love is important. But love isn't unconditional. I don't think love should be unconditional, right? No, no, no. Yeah. No, so my, my point no. is, like, there's... We can only take so much. We can only see so many opportunities squander yeah. before we give up on you. Yes. But my whole point is we're, we're willing... We're putting in all this work when we all could easily leave. We yeah. don't yeah. because we want to see you grow and succeed. And that's our feminine energy, I think. Mm. That's where the, the care, the love, the nurturing, where I think we're willing to put the work in to see growth in others and to see other people and to see others thrive. Um, I feel like if, if it was, if we had more of a masculine energy, we'd be, we'd be gone. We'd be gone in an instant. But I think having that feminine energy means we, we stay 
because we want to see that we want to see people thriving and it's like no matter what i think i love pei like pei gave me safety gave me space to grow into the person i am there's so many things i have so much gratitude for this space this community for i think it's more like even sometimes just like a short term like almost like a toxic relationship where you're like, I need you to work on you. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the problem, mm-hmm. P.I. I need you to work on you. And honestly, if P.I. works on P.I., baby, hello. Like, you are my type. <laughs> P.I. is my type, you know? I love the aesthetic here. I'm like, please, do me a solid, okay? Yeah. Fix yourself so get that we can therapy. be together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, get some therapy. Like, we could be living our best dreams, but P.I.'s playing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <sighs> P.E.I. is a toxic man. <laughs> a toxic beautiful, head toxic man. Yeah. It's like, I love looking at you. You hurt me. <laughs> you see, that's what I meant by like me having a toxic relationship with P.E.I. But it's P.E.I. has a toxic relationship with us. P.E.I. Yeah. is a toxic man. Like, that's yeah. like, I'm trying to make your life whole here. <laughs> that's yeah. true. So did we want to end with like local tips? For, like, islanders who are, like, trying to do better and wanting to do better. Mm. Well, my biggest one, and this is one that I've shared with a lot of people, and this is tested. I've tested it, and it's wor- it worked. Is really being intentional with the type of media that I consume. Whatever type, whatever, whatever is out there, whatever brand of media, whether it's like skincare, beauty, whatever is out there, there's a black woman who's doing it. There's an indigenous woman who's doing it. There's a brown woman who's doing it. and probably doing it twice as good. Those are the mm. people that I listen to. Like, so I constantly, with the media that I consume, I constantly center the voices mm. of particularly black and indigenous women because when mm. we think of when, because there's this, you know, the saying that when black trans women have, mm-hmm. when black tra- trans women are liberated, then the whole world is liberated mm-hmm. because those are the people who are often at the bottom of like society's totem pole. Mm. And so making a conscious and an active effort to really listen to the voices of those people people because there is a lot that like could go like that could go like past our heads like I'm like I'm an able-bodied person I do pass as a cis person Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of privilege that is there but when you center the voices of people who are visibly trans people who are visibly disabled and other marginalized people there's so much you learn and there's so much like and there's it those voices help you realize we can be doing better because if I were in a different body, if I were like in a man's body on a white body, I'm like, oh, like, like PA is fine. PA is fine for you. You specifically. You specifically. PA isn't fine for a lot of other people. And so there's just like, there's also like constantly remembering that as individuals, there's constantly going to be gaps in our knowledge. Mm-hmm. And being comfortable with that, sitting in your discomfort, mm-hmm. like, I really do not know anything. I want PEI to be better, but I don't know everything about how PEI is better. I, there's so much, there's so much to learn. And so, like, finding those gaps in your knowledge and really centering the voices of more marginalized people. Because, mm-hmm. like, social, like, we have, like, like, a lot of the information we consume now is, like, literally at our fingertips. Like, it's, your, it's the people you follow on Instagram, it's the people you follow on Facebook, it's the people you watch on TikTok, it's the people you follow on Twitter. Like, all those types of things. Because, like, even when we talk about representation and people are often like, well, there just isn't that many racialized or disabled people in the media. The media gives you what you want. Mm-hmm. So the more you consume content from racialized and disabled people the more the media will, put, will will give you that content. Something about supply and demand. I don't know economics, but <laughs> I remember in high school, they told me something about supply and demand. So that's, okay. <laughs> that's the thing. If there is ah, increase in demand, will, in, will, will yep, yep. increase in demand increases supply. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good job. Girl yeah. boss. <laughs> For me, I'll add on to your bit about discomfort. I think it would be really great if people start being okay with discomfort and having uncomfortable conversations when problematic things come up, mm. particularly with those close to you. Mm. It's really easy 
to kind of let it slide and not bring it up. But then those feelings get entrenched. So when you're able to have uncomfortable conversations with your neighbor, Mm -hmm. you're able to have uncomfortable conversations with your uncle, with your cousins, with your kids, whatever it is, it makes it eventually it builds and makes it socially unacceptable to act a certain way. Mm. And I think that's really important because earlier on, so you mentioned, you know, there's some well-intentioned people, but they not be decision makers. But if it becomes socially unacceptable, be a type of way, the types of changes that we're pushing decision makers to make will be a lot simpler. Mm. And so we can't all change systems overnight, but we can choose the kind of conversations we have because I've heard a lot of disturbing things that my kids have been said to my kids mm. at school, even as young as kindergarten. And so let's change the types of conversations we're having with each other. Yeah. And let's not put our comfort at the center at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll build off what you said, um, where I think those uncomfortable conversations have to start on your own. You know, like, I think a lot of folks even, I think it's that whole self-love thing, like the revolution starts with you, where if say like you have a thought and it's a fat phobic thought I think a lot of people just dismiss and they're like oh my god don't think that right but I think it's more so being like okay why did I think that where is that Mm -hmm. coming from who taught me to think that okay what happens um next time I think that like challenging it Mm -hmm. for yourself and then I think you start to normalize challenging your own because if you can't Mm -hmm. even challenge your own biases bro like how you gonna get to challenging someone else yeah and once you get comfortable challenging someone else's, so like maybe it's a sibling or like a parent or somebody, then you can take that now into community. Then you can take that out into systems. Mm. But like one of the things I've really learned is like what makes like the revolution so hard is that it's an individual process first. Mm. You know, it's that I have to look at myself in the mirror and be like, where do I carry these things of like social conditioning and harm? And when more people start doing that, I think we'll start to see like, because I think that's like, the truest form of self-love is like really knowing yourself, which means knowing why you think a certain way or why you believe certain things and then choosing how you want to move or how you want to think, right? Like taking ownership and control of that, of your own self, I think is the highest form of self-love. And a lot of society is, I'm reading this book called Propaganda right now, which is, that's why I'm like saying this word a lot. But like, it's just like, we don't even know why we're doing the things we do. You know, if you ask someone like, why do you do microaggressions? They have no idea. They're just like, what? I, I just grew up thinking that that's what your hair looks like. I can touch your hair. And it's just like, bro, like, yeah. <laughs> Google Google a little bit. Like, do start start looking at your own internal processes, why you're doing certain things. Um, and so that's my hope is that more of society just does their own, like, radical revolutionary work and will trickle out um, into the rest of society. Yeah. I think for me... Mine is directed more towards people in positions of power and who have decision-making abilities. I think humility is really, really important. Mm -hmm. It's really important to be humble, truly humble, and to be okay with accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we often see is that people are scared to be held accountable or hold others accountable because, well, it might bring, bring negative attention or what if they sue us or whatever, whatever. It's like, well, be be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Be, you have to accept the negative attention. You have to, um, and we're, we're told growing up, you have to accept the consequences of your actions. Well, accept the consequences of your actions. Mm-hmm. Be willing to do that and be willing to learn from it. Nothing is, um, people are going to be need to be held accountable. Maybe some people need to lose jobs. I don't know. But people in positions of power and those, they need to, they need to be, willing to be held accountable to hold others accountable because until they do those people will not have our trust um and it gets it's hard to build any sort of relationships with them if they're not willing to show that they will listen to us and believe us because when they don't hold themselves or others around them accountable and what they're basically the message they're sending us is that we don't believe you mm-hmm. the gaslighting the or even if they do they're like yeah it's not that bad whatever you're exaggerating that destroys trusts trust that completely erodes trust um and once that trust is destroyed it takes a lot of work to rebuild it can i ask you something mm-hmm. Because you said the consequences of their actions, 
Um, there should be con- we know that there's consequences for actions. Um, would you say to people in power that the consequences for their inaction mm. is loss of trust and retention? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, inaction. It's not even like a loss of trust. Like they have to build trust because the trust isn't there to begin mm. with, right? We know our the systems, the mm. systems are racist, so the trust isn't there. But they have to build it. So that inaction does nothing to build trust. Yeah. All right. Thank you for this conversation, everyone. Thank you so much to Sobia, Stephanie, Amira, and Kendi for creating space to share your experiences. If you're listening along and want support or want to learn how to be a better ally, go to BIPOC Usher's website. I'll link it in the show notes. Speaking of appreciation, I want to thank Innovation PEI and Skills PEI for their support, along with our sponsors, Beyond the Brim Consulting, Upstreet Brewing, and Confederation Centre of the Arts. Shout out to Adam Glant, who produced this amazing theme music. Thanks for joining, and I'll talk to you next time on The Hidden Island.